Hello there. Good morning. This is Mitten Madness on 95.3 WBCK. Jacob Harrison, brand manager of BCK. That's Dejan Hughes, brand manager of The Block, 1025-1049 there in Battle Creek. We've got a lot going on in the world of Michigan sports. All four are in swing, almost. I mean, preseason's almost done for, for the NBA. Uh, but we've got Michigan and Michigan State. Lions with arguably the big, biggest game of the first half of the season. Got the Pistons are going to get started here soon, as I alluded to. A lot to get into throughout the show including our picks at the end. But first, DJ, how's it going, man? Dude, I'm living good. I'm living good. You know, like you said, the the Red Wings are winning games. The Pistons are about to come back around the corner. And, you know, my Wolverines are looking good. And, well, like I mentioned to you last week, the NFL season is all about fantasy, and I'm still chugging along. <laughs> so I'm, I'm living good. Are you undefeated in fantasy? I am one loss. Oh, one loss. I'm, I'm undefeated. It was week two when I didn't play Kirk Cousins on Thursday Night Football, and he went bananas. I ended up losing. But... I'm playing that guy again this week. Already up revenge. 200 points on him. It's, it's big revenge. <laughs> I am undefeated playing the other undefeated team this week. And uh, T-Law got me out to a good start last night. Or excuse me, Thursday night. And we we're all recording. Uh, so yeah, it's exciting times in the world of fantasy. But to get into the real world, um, I, I wrote when the news broke about the situation involving the Michigan Wolverines uh, earlier this week that can we just have a little bit of decorum before we get to the Michigan-Michigan State game? And and what I mean by that is is. Since last year's debacle in the tunnel, after Michigan won and some Spartans got involved in an altercation with some Wolverines, not gonna cast blame either way because I'm not I'm not that involved in in this rivalry, and we all know that my allegiances uh, skew towards the blue, but I'm not that invested, so I'm not gonna come after the Spartans. I've beat up on the Spartans a lot on this show early in the going, but because their on-field product stinks. I'm sorry, that's just the reality of it. That said, all this off-the-field nonsense has got to stop, DJ. We've got two situations for the Wolverines this year and one situation for the Spartans this year that is that is monumental and, and involves a courtroom. I'm exhausted. Can we just play this game <laughs> tonight and be done with all of the nonsense? It feels like a year-long process of just off-field shenanigans just battering at these schools who are headed in completely opposite directions. Well, welcome <laughs> to Big Ten football. Welcome <laughs> to Michigan State because there's always something going on up there. And yes, I will continue to attack Michigan State because I am invested in this rivalry <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> There's always something going on up in East Lansing that has them in the headlines. This is nothing new for them. They're used to this. Us. All I got to say to you is tell the NCAA to back off. If they would relax on the boy Harbaugh, we would have no problems in Ann Arbor. Everything's kosher. Like, and, and I don't understand what all these other teams' problems are. The Big House isn't the only one-tunnel stadium in the country. But every time people want to come play Michigan, they want to fight them in the tunnel and then get blown out in the second half. How has nobody figured out fighting in the tunnel doesn't help anybody but Michigan? Don't fight us in the tunnel. Try and walk by us without saying a word, and you might have a good second half and win. But the second you push somebody, you say a word, you throw a punch in the tunnel, it's over. Michigan wins by 20 plus. Tell me I'm wrong. When it comes to the situation, the investigation uh, against Michigan this week, you and I have talked a lot since it happened. We both just kind of see this as a, as a silly thing. And, and a lot of people are blowing this out of proportion. Uh, really, truly, like, and this isn't from my bias. Like, like I said, I have a empathy for Michigan because of family. I, I am not a Wolverines fan. I, I, I'm a fan of college football and I'm an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, which I know all of you guys listening think that is just disgusting. But 
the reality is, is that it feels like the NCAA is unjustly coming after Michigan for just the silliest things. And on top of that, when you're as good as Michigan, you've gotten that good because you are towing the line. Okay. And I say this as an Alabama fan because Alabama does the same thing. You tow the line. You take every advantage you can get. At Alabama, the the, the advantage that, that Nick Saban gets is by getting all those, uh, those unpaid intern coaches who have been successful head coaches in the past. And he resurrects their career by not paying them while they're getting paid by another school that invested too much in them and and having an, an extra pair of eyes and a voice towards his players, right? It seems like cheating, but it's it's firmly within the rules. You know what else is firmly within the rules? Stealing other team signs if they don't change them. Now, Ken, it is against the bylaws to send somebody to another stadium the week before you play them and to write down all their signs. That is illegal. Not just right. the week, any time before. Right. Just to and, clarify. And, you know, it's understandable. That is unsportsmanlike. No, Nobody should really be doing that. But if you're at home and you're able to pick those things up off the TV, nothing's really stopping you because you know what you're doing all week anyway? You're watching film. And you know what the film has? The film that these guys watch? All 22 film picks up everything on the field. Everything. Everything. Sidelines included. And you can study that as a coach for as long as you want. Do you know, like, does the NCAA not know? Because I think most people that are college football fans know that assistant coaches in college football do not work 40-hour weeks. (laughs) <laughs> they work like 120 hour weeks. They do not stop working. They wake up, go to work and get done with work and go to bed at like one o'clock in the morning. If that. Yeah. If, if they're some of lucky. them don't leave, they sleep yeah. right there in their office because yeah. the, they just don't have. Don't even pay home. rent. Just live in their office. Like, and we're not exaggerating. Literally no <laughs> exaggeration with that whatsoever. You cannot police this type of thing unless you have evidence that somebody has gone to a stadium. And even then, you're really nitpicking to even get to that point. And the bottom line is, is the advantage that that would give Michigan would be egregious, yes, but they are already that talented. So why would you even suspect them of doing something like this in the first place? Who's going to bring this to the attention in the first place? It just, just as the the self-imposed three-game suspension for Harbaugh this earlier this year, it just seems futile and childish and ridiculous. Ridiculous and like a power grab for the NCAA because the NCAA has no power and hasn't for a while. And they just, they got to throw a stone at somebody. And for some reason that stone keeps getting aimed at Michigan. Which is bananas because Harbaugh isn't really doing anything wrong. But on the flip side of that, like what if it isn't the end? Like, like the NCAA is running with what they're being given. And like, I guess like they're trying to save face is what, like that's what I see is NCAA saving face. Like, oh, this is what we have. So let's just put it out for the world to know that like we're doing an investigation and we know and like this isn't on us. This is on Michigan. Michigan's doing everything bad. The NCAA has it handled. So I get that point. But a lot of this makes me think, how much of this is coming from Ryan Day? Or maybe Matt Rule or Greg Schiano? Ryan Day. We know Ryan Day takes things personally. Very personal. (laughs) And has not fared well against Michigan. And then the one game, the one game so far that there is somewhat some evidence of a Michigan staffer, loyalty person, or anything like that being there, is the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. Let me tell you what the Buck guys should be doing between week three of the college football season or whatever week it was that they played Notre Dame and the final week of the college football season changing their signs one changing their signs and two getting ready to play the best the biggest game of the year Michigan everything up until the Michigan game is just prep for the Michigan yeah. game. same thing for Michigan everything up to the Ohio State you just game disguise it differently is is prep for the Ohio State game sure you have a few games in there that you really care about when you play Notre Dame that's a big one Michigan State Penn State but realistically those are all warm-up games for Ohio State you're also 
also seeing what works and doesn't work, changing your signs, etc. through all of this time. It just doesn't make sense. Right, right now, the two names that are being thrown out are Shiano and Fleck. Shiano makes a little bit of sense because he's never beat Michigan his entire time there, and Rutgers hasn't either, and they get dominated every time. But They had early success against Michigan, too, by the way. Yeah. They, Wouldn't that they indicate scored, they nothing's been stolen? and then boom. Yeah. With Fleck, it doesn't make sense. He came out and said that was the best team he's seen in all of his years of coaching. And now all of a sudden they were cheating? His players came out right after the game and said they were cheating, but he went up there and said they're the best thing he's ever seen. That that like that just doesn't add up. If, if his players truly came to him upset and like there was some real validation, he would have been like, hey, it was a little weird. They knew everything we were going to do before we did it. Kind of like almost like they had our signs or something. But none of that came out of his mouth. But now PJ Fleck is the one that's like complaining about it. it just The whole thing just seems really weird when, like you said, said you can just change your signs every week it doesn't have to be a huge change you don't have to go from a wave to a solid fist you can just go from a wave to a still hand it means the same thing but yeah. it's a different signal and then you rotate them okay. you, you do different things it's it's first grade for for coaching like it really is like i don't know it, it the whole thing like it, it's annoying and it takes the focus off of everything else and it i'm not one to be like manufactured storylines i don't believe that that is really a thing that happens in real life but oh my god it's it's gotta. This is it's gotta like stop because it's been a solid year now. Because now we're now we're at the stadium, right? Now Spartan Stadium is gonna be filled with maize and blue, green and white, and there's gonna be a football game played. Not sure if it's gonna be a good football game. <laughs> I, I've got a feeling that you know JJ McCarthy and Blake Corum and and everybody that that wears Michigan colors is is gonna be pretty dominant in this football game. They are 24 point favorites, but nonetheless, I mean, what it, it is one of those rivalries. It's one of the rivalries in all of college football that you use the old cliche, you throw the records out, and so on and so forth. What does State have to do in this game to be competitive despite not having you know there's 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 an old set. Kenneth Walker isn't walking through that door. You know, Kirk Cousins. I know I, I know he didn't beat Michigan, or at least I don't think he did. Uh, no, he did. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're actually not too far removed from the uh, one of the anniversaries of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Kirk Cousins isn't walking through that door. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you just you go down the line of their greatest players. They're not walking through the door, and none of their greatest players of all time are currently on the roster. So what does State do to be successful or even show a glimmer of success in a loss against Michigan later tonight? I don't think they can, and it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Like, I feel so bad for this Michigan State team off the true fact that they're going to get demolished later today off the simple fact that it is not their fault. Michigan is giving bulletin board material by the NCAA and all these other coaches in the Big Ten to just go and stomp on one of their biggest rivals, it truly sucks because Michigan State isn't good, but they're going to come out and fight hard because this is a rivalry game. But that fight isn't going to matter because Michigan has to prove just how dominant they are regardless of if they stole signs or not. So I just, I feel so bad for this Spartan team because they are going to get it so bad off of everybody else's fault not even their own here's the bizarre part and i've been very critical very critical of michigan state even before the thing with mel tucker happened but they've been playing hard right they only lost by three to Rutgers now and and they had an 18 point lead at some point in the game uh iowa obviously you know quarterback goes down makes it a little bit more diff- uh, a little bit easier for michigan state to get into into the game against a team that apparently has eyes on the college football playoff uh but nonetheless they've played hard since getting routed by maryland and washington the problem is is that they do not 
have athletes. They, like, well, they have athletes. I don't want to be overly disrespectful. They don't have any superstars. They don't have anybody to be a game changer and to make things happen against Michigan. And you know what Michigan has done outside of one game where McCarthy threw three picks? They have looked clean. And especially the past two weeks, they have looked perfect. I mean, almost perfect. And, you know, usually I would stay away from a 24-point spread. But I think I would take that one and take the over on the 46 because this one's going to get ugly, ugly. And it'll be on WBCK kickoff at 7.30 pregame at 6.30 right here on 95.3 WBCK. We'll take the break, come back, talk Lions in their big matchup tomorrow against the Baltimore Ravens here on Mitten Madness 95.3. All right, we're back on Mitten Harrison alongside Dejon Hughes. We're going to talk Lions here in just a second. But first, do you want to point out what's going on for the uh, Detroit Red Wings as the regular season got started just a short while ago and the Red Wings are off to a fantastic start having uh, already secured three wins over Tampa, Columbus and Pittsburgh. Those are three really big wins. Obviously, it was a a rough start with a one point loss to to New Jersey. But this weekend, they've got some fun ones up with uh, heading out to Ottawa and hosting Calgary and then a midweek series there. They got Seattle and Winnipeg. So a fun start for the Red Wings. Looks like uh, they've got some things brewing for an exciting season. It's exciting in sports world all around Michigan. So uh, let's get to the to the ringleader of all of that. The Detroit Lions, who are going to go out and face one of my least favorite teams, though I respect them quite a bit, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, who are 4-2 and and one of those losses from my Pittsburgh Steelers. It was bizarre, I know. The last time that the Lions and the Ravens faced each other, Justin Tucker kicked a 66-yard field goal to win the game. It was one of the most bizarre things that anybody had ever seen, but it felt oh so Lions, right? Now we come in to this week, and the Ravens have to host Detroit, though as favorites in the game, three-point favorites, 53.9% chance to win on the ESPN matchup predictor, but the Lions are getting all the praise right now. The Lions are getting everything that they have worked for in terms of respect and notoriety, and yet Dan Campbell still has them with that underdog mentality of, of they're still climbing, they're still not where they want to be because the end result of this season, I think, is their ultimate goal, not just what they're receiving right now in the media landscape, but nonetheless, and you can you can go to a bunch of different sources. You can head to WBCKFM.com right now, and DJ's got a couple articles about whether or not they're the best team in football, how easy their schedule is. I've got one up, that they are the Super Bowl winning favorites. Not only are they the favorites, odds on, mathematics, that type of thing, favorites, not betting, but math. <laughs> Hard math. They're the favorites to win the division. They're the favorites to go to the playoffs. No, no, no team has a better percent chance of making the playoffs. Make that clear. No team has a better percent chance of making it to the NFC championship game. No team has a better percent chance of winning the NFC championship game. And no team has a better percent chance of winning the Super Bowl. Is this real life? The Detroit Lions. Well, they do have one of the easiest schedules upcoming. They do not play a lot of teams with winning records at the moment, nor do they play a lot of teams who are going to have winning records when they play them. The Baltimore Ravens are one such team that does have a winning record, that does have eyes on the playoffs, does have eyes on potentially reaching a Super Bowl, though they have been inconsistent all year. Lamar Jackson is still that dude, and he's got weapons on the outside. Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman, oh, by the way, Odell Beckham Jr., oh, by the way, uh, you know, that big tight end out there, he's pretty good too. Um, They're real banged up in the backfield in the running game, but they've got a strong offensive line. They always have a powerful defense. This is the biggest test that the Detroit Lions have had. Is there reason to worry here, or is this 
is just another example of the Lions who have won each of the past uh, four games by at least 14 points, though they have not played stiff competition. What's the mindset for you, DJ, with the Lions heading out to Baltimore to take on the Ravens? I really like this matchup for the Lions. Um, Not because I like just think they're going to walk in and win like in that terms of liking, but like for where they are in the season right now, for how their upcoming schedule looks, which I'm going to pull that up while we're here talking, and just the way they've been playing so far, they're in a very favorable position to do some very good things over the next couple weeks. This is one of three games left, maybe four, that has... Um, where the opponent has a winning record. The rest of their schedule are teams with losing records or at 500. And there aren't too many teams that are playing better football than the Detroit Lions right now. So if they can make it past a tough team like the Ravens, which I feel like a lot of people think the Ravens aren't that good because they aren't playing at that level a couple of years ago where Lamar was like playing for MVP and stuff. But oh, he was an MVP. The, <laughs> yeah, it, sorry. The Ravens are very much still a very good football team and, and playing close to that. They're not playing at that level, but they're still playing very close to that and the biggest thing with the Ravens is Lamar's a running threat he can throw the ball he has people who are making plays for him and he has help in the backfield but his biggest thing is a running threat I don't know that the Lions have seen as much of a running quarterback as Lamar is and if they can hold Lamar on the running side of things and make him more into a passer and force him to use his other weapons they have a chance to to really make something happen and if they're able to win this game come out of this 4-0 and on the road they're going into this game 3-0 and on the road and if they win they come out 4-0 and on the road in the in this season. They have one overtime loss to the Seahawks. They're 6-1. and one. They're tied for the best record in football right now. If they win, they'll at least stay tied or have the sole record as best in the, in the league. There's nothing bad about this game. And like I mentioned, their, their schedule is very favorable after this game. Las Vegas, currently a losing record. Chargers, currently a losing record. Chicago, currently a losing record. Green Bay, currently a losing record. New Orleans, currently a losing record. Denver, also currently a losing record. Dallas is the only team left on their schedule that has a winning record. I may be wrong. I think the Chargers may also have a winning record, Um, but I, I believe they have lost a few. There may be one more team on here that's like 500 or at a winning record other than Baltimore and, and uh, Dallas, but the Chargers are one game below 500 as are the Saints. They could feasibly be above 500 once they do play, but I mean, at that point, so, n- none of these teams are like at the level that Detroit is at, is kind of the thing. And the funny thing about that is that the Lions haven't even been at full strength since week two. Like, David Montgomery or Jameer Gibbs has been out at some point. Jamison Williams just came back. Amon Ross St. Brown has been dealing with injuries, right? Uh, I think Taylor Decker missed some time at left tackle. They haven't even been healthy. CJ Gardner-Johnson is still out, right? He's not going to be back for a, a significant amount of time, and he was one of the big difference makers in the offseason to really put this team over the edge. So, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the Lions are really in a position to continue to be dangerous. I think the, the biggest thing that I would say for the fans I think I think win or lose, the Lions are going to be fine, right? Because that schedule is too easy. Uh, they're they're in a position where you know they could have that first you know first seed, have that first round bye in the playoffs and all that. And all that's great, all that's fine. I think the one thing the Lions need to make sure they get is home field advantage during the playoffs, whether that's as a one seed, two or three. They just need to make sure they play a home game the first time they play a playoff game. Outside of that, I think don't take too much about the outcome of this game, right? Last time the Ravens played a football game, uh, excuse me, I, I don't want to completely misspeak here. Uh, last time the Ravens played a football game, they played the Titans over in London. Time before that, they played the Steelers and lost a game that they had no business losing. So they're they're frustrated, right? They've they've had to deal with the travel. They've had to play against
the Titans who wouldn't go away, and they had to lose to their biggest rival in a fashion that was unbecoming of them. Overall, the Ravens are a hungry team that that have the capability and the want to to shut down what the, the Lions have going on. So for Lions fans, not for the Lions themselves, the Lions are, themselves are going to be fine. Dan Campbell's got the pulse on the situation there. But for Lions fans, don't just think if the Ra- if the Lions cannot pull off a win here against the Ravens, that it means, oh, that it was a fluke. Oh, none of this is for real. They can't actually stand up. Because first of all, they still hold a one-point victory over the Kansas City Chiefs who have not lost a game since, right? They're still going to be in a position to win the division. They're going to win the division. They're going to make the playoffs. They're most likely going to host a playoff game. All of those things are going to happen because they've earned them. Not just because the schedule is so easy. Because in the face of that, don't, don't gloss over what I said earlier. They have won each of the past four games by at least 14 points. That is hard to do. Yes, they shouldn't have lost to the Seahawks. Yeah, they only beat the Chiefs by one point. You dominate the teams that you're supposed to dominate, and you beat the teams that you want to beat, and you're right where you want to be. You can't win all of them, right? This isn't college football where you you get these pancakes, easy schedules, cupcake easy schedules, and run through them. The Lions are in control of their own destiny. I don't think it's just because they have an easy schedule that they're going to be where they want to be. It's because of how they are made up, and even a lot against the Ravens this week I don't think would be the end of the world. That said, I do think they're going to beat the Ravens because I think they're the better football team through and through. Yeah, I really like the Lions and, and what they have coming into this game. Jameer Gibbs is supposed to be back healthy, which I'm reading right now. It came up 44 minutes ago for this game, so a good chance for him to come out and have a, a very good game. The Ravens are known for their secondary more so than their run defense. So, um, And, you know, Jameer Gibbs is good in the pass game as well, so there's some opportunities for him to get in there and, and really uh, help my fantasy team <laughs> more than anything else. <laughs> but, it all comes back to fantasy. Oh, of course. That's what the NFL is about for me. But, no, um, seriously, I'm actually really excited for the Lions and what they have going for their fans. It's it's nice to see them to be able to celebrate and enjoy going to their games and have something to cheer for. They've gone through so much over the years. This is very exciting to see. If the Lions fans, man, if you guys are able to get out of Baltimore with a win, I hate to say this, but when do they lose again? There's a possibility. <laughs> there's a possibility you finish the season at 16 and one. That's insane. There's a real possibility the Lions go 16 and one. There 15, really is. 15 and two, 14 and, and three. And like, you know, there's real. a Lions fan that is just cringing at, at you saying this and me somewhat agreeing with you. Absolutely. Just because they've how, never seen it. They, how dare they couldn't you? Even fathom it. It's been so long since they've been good. They haven't in the last 15 games. They're 12 and three. That's their best stretch of 15 games in the last 40 years. I mean, they haven't done so since 93. Like they're playing so well. The thing it's is, insane. it's not because when you talk about the Ravens. And, and you mentioned it a little bit with Lamar, how Lamar's really dynamic when he runs the football and he's good at passing the football. I mentioned all the weapons that they've got out there, right? Mark Andrews and, and all those wide receivers. The the thing is, is that the Ravens, they are not running the ball very well because they're so banged up back there. And their passing defense hasn't been great, though they, they've been missing Marlon Humphrey and he just came back in the Steelers game and, and so on and so forth. There's there's weaknesses for them, right? And I don't want to like blow up the heads of, of Detroit all that much, but like there's not a lot of weakness there. They're just that good in all phases of the game, no matter who's out there. When you've got Craig Reynolds, who's a guy who wasn't anticipating taking a lot of snaps this year, blowing up a dude uh, in that Tampa game and blocking three guys at once so that Amon Ross St. Brown can get in for a touchdown. First of all, thank you to my fantasy team for doing that, but also, <laughs> like, for real, it, th- this is in the blood of that entire roster. You d- talk about the one pride thing. Like, it's not just a gimmick at this point. Like, a 
lot of Dan Campbell felt very gimmicky when he came in. But it's all working, and it's all real, and we're all watching it in real time. Does it sustain itself long-term? Who knows? But it's sustained itself from the end of last season on a six-game winning streak into 5-1 and one today and in position to be the best team in the NFL just as long as the you know the Eagles and the 49ers both right now are on a downturn, both having lost last week. Detroit's not at the top of the standings, but they've got everything else going their way. If they can't run the ball, Jared Goff can sling it. If Jared Goff is having an off game, they can run the ball. The defense can dominate you in a myriad of ways. The kicking game is is exceptional. To, it's, it's really just special to watch. So win or lose against the Ravens, I think Lions fans should still feel confident. Don't get too down just because you might lose a game to a really good football team. That's the NFL. That's what happened in week two when you lost to the Seahawks. You lost to a really good football team that is familiar with you. Same could happen this weekend, though I don't see it happening. So excited for the Lions to get a chance to get back into things. You're going to win the NFC North, and I'm a sad Packers fan about it, but that is what it is. We're going to take a quick break here, but we'll be back to talk Pistons since the NBA is starting on Wednesday. What do we have to say? A little round ball. The, the team that's playing on the hardwood. We'll be back with Mid Madness here on WBCK. Keeping you informed on the radio and online. Like us on Facebook at 95.3 WBCK. And download the free WBCK app to your mobile device. 95.3 WBCK. We are Battle Creek. We're back on Mitten Madness, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes. And for the first time since we brought this thing to the airwaves, we're going to talk about the Detroit Pistons. Now, what a lot of people don't know is, is we talked a lot about the Pistons before we actually got on the air, just practicing, getting our, you know, cadence and camaraderie and all that down. And uh, that was all during draft time. So, uh, but what you also may not know is that Jacob is very ignorant when it comes to the round ball. Uh, DJ knows what he's talking about. So he's going to help me out here uh, quite a bit. But that said, I've tried to pay attention as much as I can to the Pistons and, and try to learn him a little bit as we uh, prepare for this next upcoming season, which is just right around the corner. The preseason ends uh, tonight for the Pistons, actually. Um, so I've got a couple of, of realms to look at this for the Pistons. Obviously, it's 82 games. It's a long season, and you know the, the Pistons are not necessarily in a position to be uh, you know vying for playoffs and those types of things. That said, there's plenty of reason to be excited when it comes to the future. We'll talk about the future here in just a second. To kind of preview this year, the ESPN has a ranking of all 30 teams on their watchability. And the Detroit Lions come in at number 29. Now, they are considerably higher in the ranking than number 30, apparently, uh, because the Wizards are, are borderline unwatchable. At least the Pistons have some excitement with Cade Cunningham and uh, Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran and obviously uh, Asar Thompson. There's some fun things here, but is it fun enough to like really keep your interest, even if you're not like you know a native Detroiter who is overtly passionate, but for like the average average person that's keeping up with all of Detroit sports like me. Is this really a, a, the kind of team that this year you should be kind of paying closely attention or is it kind of just a back of your mind thing? Keep them in mind because soon things should come together. Uh, you you got to pay attention this year and I only say that because this is the first year that we're going to get this young core completely healthy. Yeah. We're getting Cade Cunningham back. Azure Thompson, first round pick coming in this year. You've got Jay Nivey still healthy. Jalen Duran's there. Isaiah Livers is there. James Wiseman is there. Bogdan. You can just keep rattling off the young names. They're going to be healthy, and they look good so far. When we look at their preseason scores, they lost to the star-studded Phoenix Suns with Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, or not Chris Paul, 
he left, um, et cetera there by four, 130, 126. Granted, it's preseason, but still, that's something you want to see. And then you look at them playing two back-to-back games against another young core in the Oklahoma City Thunder. They beat them 128, 125, and then turn around and beat them again, 118, 116. And they played Dallas to, or last night. They played Dallas last night as we record on Friday, getting ready for Saturday. So we don't have the score for that, but I am going to assume that they're going to do well in that game. You can check back on that score as you're listening and see, you know, look at the box score and such as, as to how that game went. But that's what you want out of this pitch. Team, you want them to play well against the other mid-tier or or young teams, and then you want them to play really well. And maybe even if they lose, it's okay to the best teams. So when we're looking, I'll just do a quick run through of really the entire league. Celtics will probably be better than the Pistons. Nets are a team they should beat. Knicks are a team they should battle with. 76ers will probably be better. Um, depends on really what happens with their roster, but they're still pretty good. And then the Raptors, they should at least compete or beat. The Bulls are young as well. You got to be able to compete with the Bulls. The Cavs are young. I mean, you got Donovan Mitchell to worry about, but if you can handle him, you should be able to compete with them as well. You should be able to beat the Pacers and the or Pacers and the Bucks. Should be the top of your division in the Central. Um, and then the Hawks are young. You should beat them. You should beat the Hornets who are still dealing with some injuries as well. The Heat, they're probably better than you with their veteranism. The Magic are young. You need to compete or beat them. The Wizards are awful. Especially now that they don't have Bradley Beal. If you're not beating the Wizards, you have a serious problem. So when you're looking at the East, one, two, three, four, five. The Pistons should be a, is somewhere between the six and eight. Realistically, really? the Pistons should make, in, in my opinion, the Pistons should make the playoffs this year. If they win enough of these competitive games or they beat the teams they should beat. There are only... And assuming health. Yes, and, and assuming health. But there are only six teams on the uh, in the East that I say are better than the Pistons right now. But, oh, looking at the West, you should compete with the Thunder, the Trailblazers, the Jazz. Um, wow, you're going to have a tough time beating the Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, Suns. But you should compete with the Kings. And then looking at the last division in all of basketball. Oh, hold on. Computer wants to do its own thing. That's nothing new does not want to give me pull up here we go last Mavericks Rockets Grizzlies Pelicans Spurs the only team on this list that I'm seeing is better than you is the Grizzlies especially well without Ja for the first 80 games of the year or something like that it, he got a ridiculous suspension for you played the last two games of the year that would be hilarious and so you got a chance to beat the Grizzlies too there's a lot of teams that the Pistons can compete with now that they're healthy and that's what you should be looking out for is for them to compete and either squeeze at worst case scenario the Pistons are in the play-in because that's the top 10 there's no way the Pistons are not a top 10 team in the East if they're completely healthy I'm saying it right now and if you want to come back and put me on a stake for it because it doesn't happen that's cool with me but in th- two, three, four years this Pistons team is going to be very good if so, they stay healthy so you mentioned the next two to three years uh, that's actually the next ranking that I've got from ESPN is the future power rankings and the Pistons actually drop from 21 down to 25 for this uh, not ranking highly for their players management or their market market is something you cannot change that, that's it, it is what it is kind of thing right as Detroit continues to grow and as sport become continues to grow that's how that sort of thing changes but when it comes to players I have a hard time just saying that looking ahead that their players would only rank 25 out of 30 when it comes to the management when they've done a really solid job of building Building something with what they have, they're only the 27th. And then the draft, I think they've done as well as they could given the the luck and circumstance that they've been given, right? I mean, if you if the if the Pistons were in a league where there was no lottery, then they'd have Victor. They'd have Wemby. And they would be considered brilliant, right? But because they're in a system with a lottery and they had the worst record in the NBA last year, now all of a sudden, they've
they've got the fifth pick and they've got to settle, which sounds harsh, but they had to settle for Asar Thompson, who, you know, when the Pistons really should have been picking top three. So I'm not so sure I agree with the methodology here, methodology here, though I understand there's only so much that you can look at. But I mean, the Pistons being ranked 25th here with the possibility that Cade Cunningham is as good as a number one overall pick should be. The fact that Jay Nivey is as good as he is and all the pieces really that are there that are young. And if you do end up shipping off Bogdanovich, you'll get some assets out of that. There's a lot to appreciate. I, I'm kind of in your ballpark of they're going to be a lot better than a lot of these very conservative rankings are indicating. I'm not so sure that they're looking at being a six or an eight. You know, like I'm not so sure that they're like fringe playoffs, but I think they'll be a lot more surprising and be kind of in that tier right under that. And that's me just being more conservative than you and <laughs> way, way not as conservative as, as these ESPN writers. But I think 25 is just incredibly low there. And if they were closer to 21, it'd make a lot more sense because I think that's actually the territory they're in. And really and truly for future rankings, if all of these guys pan out, and that's not always likely, but if Cunningham and, and Ivy continue on the pace they're on, Thompson's the truth, and you get more out of guys that you've invested in, like Wiseman and, and so on and so forth, then then you should be even higher than that and be somewhere in the 16 range, which I think is where you have them practically right now. I mean, hey, I'm I'm being a little optimistic, but they have a lot of good things on their side. And I also just know a little bit more about basketball and the NBA, which is which is fun because like now I kind of see where your head goes when I talk about football sometimes. So <laughs> that is okay. The best part about this is that with that, your favorite part, my favorite part, and their favorite part at home is coming up. We'll be talking picks in just a moment as we take a break here on Mitten Madness 95.3 WBCK. 95.3 WBCK. Back here on Mitten Madness, Jacob Harrison and Dejon Hughes, and we've got our picks. DJ, how those standings looking, bud? Don't say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'll update the people. Last week was a rough week for me. You went three and three. I went two and four, leaving our overall standings at a whopping 29 and 13 for you and 30 and 12 for me. So combined, we are, what is that, 59 and 25? Not bad. We're doing great, man. Yeah, well above great. 500. Both of us well above 500. The pe- Some people may say that we've picked some easy games. I think last week kind of proves that we will pick hard games when they're available. Uh, last and I think this week really backs that up. Yeah, this week there's some hard games too, and I think we'll be split again. I don't think we'll all have the, the same picks again. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. And uh, we'll start off with a hard one right off the bat. Uh, my first game for you is the number three Ohio State Buckeyes hosting the number seven. Penn State Nittany Lions. It's the big noon kickoff on Fox and the Ohio State Buckeyes have a seven, excuse me, a six game winning streak against Penn State that they are looking to move to seven games. It has not been pretty in each of those games. I really and truly I think, uh, yeah, we're looking back uh, one point win in 2018 is as close as it's been outside of a seven point win two years ago. It's been a one sided rivalry here but Penn State looks like they're a team to be reckoned with and they're hoping to finally be in on the conversation for the college football playoff. Of course, last week we talked about how Ohio State is the number two teams when it comes to math odds to not only make it to the playoffs, but also win the whole stinking thing. DJ, who's winning the football game, though? Oh, I've talked about this days on end all of this week with so many different friends, fans of both teams, of fans of Michigan, fans of Michigan State. When it really comes down to this, I'm thinking in the future for when Michigan plays Penn State, when Michigan plays Ohio State, I would love for Penn State to put a blemish on the record of Ohio State, but that scares me more for when they play Michigan (laughs) because then they will have complete dynasty of themselves 
And if they somehow beat both Ohio State and Michigan, guess where they're going? The Big Ten title, which they haven't been to in forever. And to know that you've already beat Ohio State and the only thing you have to do is beat Michigan to get there? Dude, that scares me. Yeah, uh, today I learned that Penn State only has four conference championships ever. Yes. Which is so bizarre to me. Uh, for, For contrast, Ohio State is fourth in the country for most conference championships. They have 39. I'm going to go with the Buckeyes in this game and not for the reasons that you outlined, but simply because Ohio State's more explosive. They have bigger bigger playmakers on the perimeter. I'll give you an example. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, the leading receiver for the Penn State, 31 receptions, 402 yards. Marvin Harrison Jr., 31 receptions, 604 yards. Like These are, these are the things that make a difference. Uh, Drew Aller only has nine more uh, complete, completions than Kyle McCord, but McCord has 400 more yards. It's, it's more explosive. The Buckeyes are more dangerous. Penn State has a history of being the team that beats up on the weakness of the Big Ten and struggles against the top-tier teams, and this year is no different. Give me the Buckeyes. I, the only thing that's troublesome about this game is Ohio State's running game. It's normally very strong this year with Henderson and, and Trainum and the guys ahead behind him. Not as good as they have been, but I have an inkling that they're going to be able to do just enough to get the ground rolling and, and be able to offset in the passing game. Yeah, I'm not, about, I'm not worried about State taking. I'm not worried about the running game at all. Trevion Henderson's one of the best running backs in football. I, well, he has to play. Yeah, but first off, he has to play. We don't know if he's going to play. And if he doesn't play, his backups aren't as good as him. But I do still think Ohio State has enough on the running game to to do well enough in this game to win. So my first game, taking it down south Mm. with your boys. Mm. The Crimson Tide from Alabama hosting the good old volunteers from Tennessee. Mm. Who you got? Mm. Alabama's a nine and a half point favorite. Can you believe that? Uh, Yeah, I actually can. Really? Because... I, we were joking before the show. This is the least confident I've ever been about Alabama football. And I just say that because Milton the Third is a former Michigan quarterback, and I know what he can and can't do. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Milton has grown a lot since he was up here in Ann Arbor. Oh, I agree. I and agree. The, the system that they run down there in Tennessee is very, very beneficial to what he does as a quarterback. It's sling it deep all the time. And they don't have... Tennessee doesn't have the same speed and weapons, and they don't have all the magic that they had last year. I acknowledge that. But they are still a very good football team, and I think one of their uh, players, I'm not sure who, uh, was quoted earlier this week saying the intimidation factor is not there for Alabama anymore. They finally got over a near 20-year hurdle last year, and now they know, especially watching Alabama for the majority of this season, Alabama's not what they once were. That said, Alabama has cleaned some things up, even if they didn't really completely clean it all the way up. Last week, allowing Arkansas saw to come back and make a game of it late when they really shouldn't have. Alabama was dominating to the point where I stopped paying attention to the score of the game. I was I didn't watch it, but I stopped paying attention to the score of the game. I was like, oh, Alabama's got it. We're back where we need to be after the win over AM. That just does not appear to be the case. So I'm going to say Alabama's going to win the football. Being at home matters too much, and what Joe Milton does struggle at, I think, is just being a mistake-free quarterback. I think that's what's going to get them in trouble. But that nine-and-a-half point spread, egregious. Tennessee easily covers that. I am also and gonna, take the over. Sorry, 47 and a half. Laughable. Take the over. I'm also <laughs> going to take Bama here. I think Tennessee is going to make it a game and it's going to be close. And there's going to be some things that Milton and this offense can do, but I don't think that they're going to be able to close out the game, which is where Bama's kind of just has that experience at multiple positions on the field and in the coaching battle. 
and, and that's what it's going to come down to. Second game of the week for you. I have a fun one out in the Pac-12. The number 14, Utah Utes, head over to face the very disappointing number 18, USC Trojans. USC coming off a pitiful loss to Notre Dame last week. Pitiful. I Now we've got the internet is turning on Caleb Williams. I, have you seen any of that? People are like, oh, he shouldn't even be the first overall pick at quarterback. Who is he to want ownership of the team that drafts him, which you can't do, by the way. Uh, here's the thing. Um, starting quarterback for Utah, not back yet. Don't think he'll be back for this game either, but USC is coming off a bad game and Utah is one of the best coach teams in the entire country and a team fully capable of beating a USC. They did lose to Oregon State a couple weeks ago. Oregon State's one of the better teams in the country as well. They'll be vying for the North in the Pac-12, but DJ, who wins the football game? I think USC. I don't think the offense has played really well for Utah even without Cam Rising, but USC is still a very good football team. Like, sure, Notre Dame beat up on them and Caleb Williams had a bad game, but that's really just prepping them to bounce back and prove that they're still a really good football team. And I think the defense is what's going to end up winning them this game. I don't think the Utah offense has quite enough to finish this game out without Cam Rising. Seven-point favorites the Trojans are. I will stick with the favorites in the football game and go with the Trojans. However, I do think Utah will cover that spread and play it very, very close because USC apparently cannot put anybody away. Uh, losing by 28 to Notre Dame, losing by, uh, or excuse me, winning by three, or excuse me, two in triple overtime against Arizona, only getting a seven-point win over Colorado. USC is good, and they are good on both sides of the ball, but they're not playing to their potential, and they look a lot like those Oklahoma teams that Lincoln Riley had just a few years ago and to my second game of the week to close out the college slate the duke blue devils will head all the way down to tallahassee florida to take on the florida state seminoles who's going to handle business here so i'm very interested in florida state at this point because this is the last team that is currently ranked on their schedule and i don't anticipate miami or florida will get into that conversation there's uh, I got to look at Wake Forest first. Never mind, Wake Forest is three and three. So this is the last big game that Florida State has, and then it is a smooth ride to the college football playoff because they'll win the ACC absolutely no problem. So this is a fun game for them and a solid test for them to show just how good they really are and if they should be in the conversation to get extra votes to move up in the polls or if they're going to have to sit at four for having such a weak schedule. That said, uh, 14 and a half point favorites for a reason. Florida State will make it look easier against Duke than Notre Dame did. Florida State wins easily. I like Florida State in this game as well. I think Duke will make a little bit of a game out of it. I've talked about Duke time and time this year. I really like Riley Leonard and what he's doing for their offense. And this team seems to rally around the fact that Duke is a basketball school mm. and there aren't a lot of people really checking for them. So I, I like that they're going to keep it close and make it a game and it's going to be exciting to watch. But Jordan Travis is too much uh, on the offensive end and Florida State is going to take care of business. No doubt about it. I will take our next NFL game, and it's the biggest NFL game of the week. It is between five and one teams on each side of the conference. It's between former Alabama Crimson Tide quarterbacks. It is the Miami Dolphins at Philadelphia for the Sunday night matchup. Philly is a two and a half point favorite, but they have not been playing well. Jalen Hurts has more turnovers right now than he had all of last season. Their offense is not performing well. Tua's offense, they're a little dinged up at running back, but as long as they got Raheem Mostert, they got a guy who leads the league in touchdowns. Touchdowns, period. Other than passing, he's that guy. Philly's more banged up as well. Lane Johnson got hurt last week. Devontae Smith is a little bit banged up. Goddard, too. Overall, there are a few things that would lean Eagles way 
where they've got the experience because the Dolphins haven't played anybody, but the Dolphins are healthy. DJ, who wins the biggest game of the week in the NFL? This is so off topic compared to football in any kind of regards. Oh, boy. But if you know anything about the city of brotherly love, they love their sports so much. And one problem for the Miami Dolphins right now is that the Philadelphia Phillies are on an all-time bender right now. (laughs) They are. Which also means (laughs) every Philadelphia sports fan is also on an all-time bender right now. Different kind of bender. (laughs) And and they're going to bring that energy right over to Lincoln Financial Field. And that's going to play a huge part. We've also seen DeAndre Swift and Terrell Edmonds making a stop at a Phillies game and enjoying a baseball game. They were vibing. They're off time. They were vibing. (laughs) This city rallies around each other. When one sports team is playing well, they're all going to start playing well because the fans just take the energy around the city. I got to take the Eagles off the simple fact that the Phillies are about to win the NLCS. I, to be fair, they, never mind. Okay, there, there'll be another game between now and then. I was going to say that the series might be over before this game happens, and that would actually probably benefit Miami in terms of your argument. But uh, nonetheless, I am a Tua truther. When it came to the battle between Tua and Jalen, I chose Tua. And for the very reasons that we are seeing unfold this year, Jalen is not the most calculated quarterback. He is very exciting, very dynamic very explosive, very dangerous. But when it comes to playing a buttoned-up, tight-knit offense, that's not what he's good at. And that's what he's trying to mold himself into again in his career, and it's not working. Tua has always been good at deep balls. He made his first impression with a deep ball to Devontae Smith, who happens to play for the Eagles, to win a national championship as a freshman. Tua is an MVP frontrunner for a reason, as was Hurts last year. Tua's got all the pieces around him, too. Tyreek Hill has 814 yards, guys. We're in week seven. We're going into week seven, and he has 200 more yards than the next guy. No, the Eagles are on a downturn. They lost a game last week that they shouldn't have because they shot themselves in the foot. The Dolphins may not have played any stiff competition, but they're one of the best teams in the NFL for a reason, and they've got to prove that that big loss to Buffalo wrong and stomp on the Eagles while they're at it. Give me the Miami Dolphins to win the Sunday night matchup. To wrap up our picks for the weekend, we're staying in the NFL. I don't have a lot to say about this game, but I'm sure you do. But the bad part for you is you don't have a lot of time to do it. You might not even want to say a lot. Steelers are heading out to the Los Angeles, California and SoFi Stadium to take on the Los Angeles Rams. Who do you got? If Aaron Donald's such a big Steelers fan, can he come play for us this week? Uh, I'm not sure if Kyron Williams is going to play in this game, and I think that is a massive is thing. Okay, he's not going to play in this game. Then I think that helps out the Steelers quite a bit because it takes one less thing for them, one less thing for them to focus off of. But uh, we joked before. I mean, Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup are going to catch a ton of passes in this game because the Steelers don't. They just don't, man. They don't. Uh, and Najee's going to be running at Aaron Donald all game. That's not going to go well. That said, the Steelers came out of last year's bye week cruising. They they used their bye week very, very well. My hope is that they do that again and that they're able to do it for a long stretch of time. I don't know what's going to change about that offense to give me any more hope than than I have right now. Deontay Johnson's coming back. Eh, Bat Fryer moves not. <sighs> 
I probably shouldn't do this for the sake of trying to catch you, but I'm going to pick the Steelers because I don't have enough reasons to pick the Rams. And the last time I went against the Steelers, they beat the Browns anyway. So give me the Steelers. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they might just do it. I'm a Matthew Stafford believer. Give me the Rams. That's it. I have nothing else to say. Go ahead and close us out. I'll give you one last reason. Stafford turns the ball over like crazy and the Steelers force a lot of turnovers. That's one big reason the Steelers can win this game. And that's the one I'm going to hang my hat on. Thank you. (laughs) That'll do it for Mitten Madness. We've got a big, big weekend of football, of basketball, of hockey. Everything is going on in Detroit sports right now, as well as college football across the state. So stick around here in just a minute. The pregame show will kick off from Learfield for Michigan football here on 95.3 WBCK. We'll find out where we're going to have our Battle Creek game of the week next week. We'll be following Harper Creek somewhere. And then next week, right here at the same time, 10 a.m. on WBCK, me and DJ will hook up one more time for Mitten Madness here on 95.3 WBCK.